0: Hi, everyone. I'm Jill Smokler, and I've got issues. I've got a ton of issues, actually, and I'm pretty sure you do, too. And I'm positively sure we'll both feel better having talked about them. And that's what this podcast is all about. So let's get started. When I first launched this podcast, I asked my community what their biggest issues were, and caring for and losing parents was top on the list. I'm lucky enough not to have experienced this yet, but my guest has. Kitty Isley is an Emmy award-winning writer, producer, and longtime journalist with NPR. Several years ago, Kitty moved to her childhood home to care for her father in his final years and developed a podcast from her audio diaries called 24-7, A Podcast About Caregiving. Kitty joined me to talk about the end-of-life challenges she faced with her dad and why documenting the experience was so important to her
1: it's actually a beautiful exercise. Like what is a meaningful life? What adds up for you? And if you Mm -hmm. are helping someone maybe tiptoe near that thought, as we do in the podcast, I actually asked my dad on tape at one point when he was still pretty cogent, I noticed how many times we'd been to the hospital and gone to these kind of hurry up and wait emergencies. And I finally said, so, you know, who do you think will be there after you go? Like who's going to be in heaven to meet you? He's old, very progressive Catholic, but still, I think that was an embedded part of his um, sensibility. And I actually taped this conversation and played it in the first, end of the first season, because his answer completely surprised me. He didn't know if there was a heaven or an afterlife. Hmm. And I needed him, I needed to believe that he felt safe about dying. And it shocked me because I wanted to feel that he was okay with it. Right. And I think he was less okay with it than I thought. And so it felt harder on me. But well, he you probably quite,
0: wanted assurance that he would be waiting
1: for you. Right? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's all about there. me. <laughs> um, and yet he'd already, you know, he's like, that's what every major world religion has contended with. That's what we ask ourselves. What's our nature right. for our time here? Nobody knows the answer. So, um because I was like, well, I know the answer. You're going to be there. Mom's going to be there. I needed yep. him. I Lots needed of ice to know, cream. Right? Lots of ice cream. Exactly. Um, and I still kind of do believe that. That's an Irish thing. There's kind yep. of a, a built-in belief. But it, I am comfortable and glad that he and I had that kind of relationship where I could ask a question like that. Mm-hmm. Um I just wanted him to start reflecting. I just couldn't tell anymore if we were going to ever come back from one of these hospital trips. And mm. at, every time I started packing, you know, stupid hard-boiled eggs and oranges because I'd be in the hospital room in the middle of the night and there was no food. And and I just realized, like, I've gotten too used to this. And it's this isn't the right way to live. This is not working. But you never know if you're going to come back from that hospital trip or not.
0: Did you ever find yourself just hoping he wouldn't because it was just such an exhausting process.
1: Yeah. I think in the back of my mind, I, I did. And I felt crappy about it. I really did. I felt like I, I don't want him to die, but the only way the situation gets better is if he does. Right.
0: I can't imagine not feeling like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's only one, there's only one end and it's only going to get more painful as you head towards it.
1: Yeah. Or, and can we figure out a way to make it less painful? And I do have to really think about how he kept his cheer. I have to credit our caregiver, the hired mm. caregiver, because she brought that cheer into the house. And I think he was kind of a flirt and I think he liked that mm. women were flirting with him and give she'd give him foot rubs to take care of his toes and make sure his balance was good. She'd give him, you know, ensure ice cream boost milkshakes so he'd get protein, but he'd get his ice cream. she was like a mother to him, and at mm-hmm. a time, I think that's what he must have needed.
0: Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
1: And I think hard about like what's that going to be like when I'm that age, and then I think, oh, I don't want to think about that yet.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, yeah.
1: I just want some fun. Yeah,
0: yeah. Fun. Definitely.
1: But I will tell you the um, the folks I've interviewed for the podcast. We started this podcast because I was just taking notes on my phone, and I just thought I. This experience is so overwhelming, I don't have another way to process it than write it down and talk it out. Mm -hmm. And that first season was just me calling people to get advice on things I didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, One of them was how to give my dad a shave. Like, Mm -hmm. have you ever thought of giving someone else a shave? It's the weirdest thing.
0: Yeah.
1: Nothing I would have caught on to, but there was a time when that needed to happen. And I found this guy at Gillette who had created this razor that makes it easier to give someone else a shave. There's a lot to it. And I was like, Oh God, that makes so much sense. Cause I had no idea how complicated this was, nor would I have had any idea. Why would I know that? And it made a big difference. So Hmm. it was things like that where I was asking people like, what do you do to keep your parents' social life? Because they're, you become the social life and I can't do that. And other friends talked to me about the complications they had when um, church groups kind of vanished because they didn't want to deal with somebody's dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to a friend who was a hospice chaplain, and that was a second career for her after she'd gone through a particularly long drawn-out illness of her mom's. Mm-hmm. And she gave me a lot of comfort in how to think about this stuff and and how to be normal about it. Like, mm-hmm. it, as she says, you know, enjoying the ordinary of the day, the most ordinary things are meaningful, especially when you realize that, like, our life isn't a given. We're not. We're here on short time.
0: Is that what you feel like? Is your is a big your biggest takeaway from this? I don't know journey for lack of a better word.
1: Maybe it's just the backdrop of COVID as well. Uh, this idea that things can change very quickly and that you mm-hmm. don't know how much time you have here, and it's a weird feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's probably a good motivating feeling, like. Okay, this is a gift. Like who knows why we're the people we are or we're born into this world? So enjoy it. And you know, feast on it. Make joy in your life. Make time for that. Um, yeah. My dad had a very joyful life, and I know we gave him the best possible end of it. I know that. Mm-hmm. And I'm really proud of it. Like that's something that I take pride in. Like it was so hard, but we did the best we could, and he knew it, and we knew it. He knew he mm-hmm. was loved, he knew he was safe. And we were comforted and cared for too mm-hmm. at the very end because I'm in Washington. A lot of people have moved here from somewhere else. I grew up here, but loads of friends have distant families. So a group of us, when my parents first had their bad falls, we started doing dinners every five months together. Mm-hmm. Um, about 10, 10 of us who couples and families who'd known each other through college or through other relationships. And we've kind of become our little informal circle I don't mean that like I can call them and say, can you do this for me? But that sense that we have to have each other's backs Mm -hmm. as we get older, we sort of started that in a Mm -hmm. weird intentional way with not not the kind of like hippy-dippy thing. It was just like, look, let's start to keep an eye out for each other because we're all dealing with aging parents and many of our families are spread out. So let's be each other's backstop here in Washington while we can. Um, Really tap friends and... Tell people because they will help. You can't fix it, but you can get mm. some unexpected help.
0: So in terms of tapping friends, what are if you have a friend whose parents are, are dealing with us, a friend who's dealing with us, what what are some really fast easy ways that you can show support that that are appreciated?
1: Um, I'll tell you, I put on Facebook at one point, I was just, I was out of it. I was, everything had broken. Every, every um, appointment had failed. It was just one of those moments of like, I can't do this anymore. And so one of my girlfriends arranged a posse, and she said, we're coming to do like the barn raising at your house. Like everything seems to be broken in your house. So <laughs> you make a punch list and we will be there. Pick a Saturday. And they came and they oh fixed gosh. stuff. They like painted over spots in the bathroom that were leaking and they fixed funny door hinges and they cleaned out the backyard full of leaves. They literally restored my life. And I'm in an that old house amazing. that was my Amazing. Right? Oh my gosh. That was the girl posse. I mean, talk about a lifesaver. Wow. And they weren't even all my closest friends. It was just four of us, but it felt like, oh my, I mean, it was like one of those, it's a wonderful life, Jimmy Stewart moments. Like they just descended like angels and I bought them all like those latex gloves and bandanas. (laughs) Like, All right, let's go girls. And it, because it wasn't my house, there were all sorts of things. I didn't understand. I live in a condo. So some of them had fixed house things before, and some of them understood how to check the gas grill to see if it was leaking. That was beautiful. It was truly one of the most beautiful memories I have of this time. Any friend you know who's dealing with this, drop off a meal. Don't wait for an invitation. Okay. I know somebody said, "What do you need most?" And I was like, "Cat litter. I don't have time to go buy it." Um, they dropped off cat litter. I would insert myself as a friend earlier and say, "Hey, I now understand what this is like." Um, I remember a friend's mom went into the hospital and I took over like a you know a tote bag full of quick snack stuff, yogurts. Um, here's what you're going to need if you're you know, doing a hospital vigil. Mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Here's an extra mm-hmm. charger for your iPhone. Stuff like that. Yep. Um, can I hire a house cleaner for you? Mm-hmm. Could I send somebody over? Could I take you out for a pedicure or a massage or a walk? And we don't mm-hmm. even have to go that long or talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it hard to coordinate other people's schedules. Cause there was so much coordinating for my dad that the best friends were super flexible and didn't have any pressure about like, well, I need to come and bring you this thing. And then I need to get my Tupperware back. <laughs> like, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. deal with any of that. The other ones were like, great. I'm leaving a little thing on your stoop and I hope you like it. And if you don't, that's okay. You can toss it out. That kind of friendship Perfect. is gold. And I it taught me a lesson. Like, where can I show up? Because they've you know they've invested in me that way. Um, I come back to the podcast 24-7, which I'm required to mention because Texas Public Radio has really put a lot of effort behind this with funding from an Alzheimer's research organization.
0: Oh, that's amazing.
1: And I have each interview I've done, I've learned. And there were so many things I didn't know. I actually spoke to a minister who has Alzheimer's. And mm-hmm. from her point of view, what that's like to be aware of your own cognition slipping and how she wants to be treated. Um, There's a terrific occupational therapist named Tipa Snow. If anyone's dealing with a family member with dementia, there was, I didn't even know how dementia operates. I thought I, it's just memory, right? No, it it happens all over your body. There are many ways this manifests that you can start to learn about and then feel more like you have some control because this Mm -hmm. is a very uncontrollable situation. The coolest group I connected with was after my dad died, and it's called Hilarity for Charity. Mm-hmm. And it's Lauren Miller Rogan, who's an actor and writer, who's also married to Seth Rogan, the comedian. Mm-hmm. And she helped her dad care for her mom with Alzheimer's for 15 years. Oh, wow. And it was so hard and so depressing for her, frankly, mm-hmm. that her friends decided they should just throw a little variety comedy show and raise some money for Alzheimer's. And when they did, they realized we can't make a big dent in Alzheimer's research, but we can help people get care. And it's Mm. the people in the family who are having a harder time. Mm. So they set up this group where they're raising money to help caregivers. And one of the things they do are virtual guided support groups online, virtual meaning Mm. just do it from your house. Mm. That's the hugest thing. Having other people say, oh, I went through that and this is what worked. Yep. You need your girlfriends. Absolutely. But I did find a great deal of sort of wisdom or growing up wisdom in the reading I was doing around death, dying, life meaning, illness. And it isn't as depressing as maybe this conversation has made it sound. It's much richer. I mean, Mm -hmm. these things are raising the most profound questions of how you use your time and what do you find that you're proud of, that you made good on in your life. One of the things they often say for someone at the end of life is to make sure that you cover, I love you, I forgive you, forgive me, and thank you. Mm -hmm. And all of that went very easily in my family. But the reading I was able to do, and to be honest, my mom was more of a, probably leaned toward more Buddhism. Being in my parents' house with their books and their notes and their writing has been a real comfort because mm-hmm. they're still here in a certain way. I pick up books and they're, you know, sticky marks and notes they wrote on an index card. And that's been a really beautiful um, comfort. I don't know how to explain that other than to say they're not all gone mm-hmm. and I'm still having this conversation with them through their mm-hmm. books. That's been really beautiful. Yeah. And that to is. be asked to think hard about also, what are your boundaries? Which I wasn't terribly great at, but mm. think hard about how you show up. Patty Davis is one of the interviewees. Ronald Reagan's daughter. She ran caregiving groups for family members of people with Alzheimer's for ten years after her dad died, mm. and she talks about how going through this process will really teach you and and um, it, grow is the wrong word, but it will. You will grow if you're open to it, but you have to be able to um, be very humble in a certain way Mm -hmm. because you're. this is someone else's life. You're helping guide. It isn't yours, and you're going to have to make hard decisions, right? So much responsibility. So much, but at the same time, like, what a gift. And she had a good relationship with her dad, I think Mm -hmm. a much more complex one with her mom. Mm -hmm. And she talked about having to... um, be a bigger person than maybe she'd been as a younger woman mm-hmm. to be able to work with her family to take care of her dad. And I think that is powerful. It's a powerful reflection. Like what kind of person am I in the world? And what kind of bad attitude am I bringing to this job today? Like I've got, I'm, I feel snarky. I feel depressed. I feel overwhelmed. Okay. That's just going to be there. But can I take something from today that I'm proud of? That was a helpful thing to me. Get yourself some good girlfriends or boyfriends too. I mean, men have come over and helped fix things in our house because they're good at that just because they were friends. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel very fortunate, like maybe not having a partner going through this and having been free to be possibly more pulled into it than I should have been Mm -hmm. also showed me how much kindness and how, um, I don't know. You just, it's a a more textured life when you go through something like this Mm -hmm. and immense, immense credit to people who care for elders, immense credit. We do not have enough of them. We don't pay them enough. They are the kindest people in the world, helping your, the people you love through the hardest things. We need to find a way to make sure those people are taken care of and paid well, because it's a dangerous, hard occupation.
0: And a vitally important one.
1: Think about it. Like you can put a toddler into a car seat, right? I mean, they might squirm. When you're lifting somebody who's 190 pounds in and out of a chair several times a day, into a wheelchair, onto a commode, maybe trying to get them into the shower, that 190 pounds can fall on you very easily. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people who do this professionally, that's a very common injury. You get injured holding people up. This is the kind of thing no one teaches you. That's a, you know, There are ways you can lift someone out of a chair, but like how would you know that? You just don't know that. That's why there are complexities of dealing with elders that aren't comparable to dealing with little kids. There are, very, there are a lot of overlap and similarity. Mm-hmm. One thing I think that's consistent is that as a nation, we have not thought of care as work, and it is. And it's foundational to making an economy run. If you have people who can't be home safely by themselves, how can you go to work? We saw that in COVID, Mm -hmm. but we haven't really figured out how to make that a priority nationally. Say from childhood to elderhood, the beginning of your life and the sunset of your life, when you aren't able to care for yourself, how can we as a society do it better so that we're all supported? And it's not just falling on the moms because it almost always falls on the women. You know, I started a podcast about caring for my dad while he was still living out of distress because I felt like I don't know what else to do with this overwhelming emotional load and fatigue. I don't feel like I have, and I'm drowning. I don't know how to do this. And at other times it was comical. My dad would load the dishwasher with Dawn, and then the dishwasher would explode in bubbles all down (laughs) the, the kitchen. And he'd try to wake me up and say there was something crazy happening. And, you know, you'd look at that and go, how are there bubbles all up and down the kitchen floor? And he said, well, I use the blue stuff. And I'm like, why would you put liquid dishwashing detergent? You know, mine wasn't operating right. All sorts of crazy stuff that happened. And as the crazy things kept happening, I started taking notes and thinking, I don't have any guidance. And as I started researching it, I was like, there are 50 million people in America who are doing this caregiving work. It's a, a value of half a trillion dollars a year. Unpaid and that's the, every third person you talk to in middle age will have some story of trying to care for a parent whether it's long distance or nearby we are we're a huge powerful force but we don't know it i checked into a really fancy hotel in dc right at the end of covid because i just had to get away i was like just please give me a long weekend somewhere nice yeah. and arranged it with my sister so i got a break i would have been more insistent and forced myself to say every Wednesday night you have to go to the movies or every Wednesday night you go out for dinner and take a walk with a friend. Exercise was not particularly a strong point of mine. And everyone says, oh, keep your exercise going. I didn't do that so well. Probably it would have helped. Um, But when I think about the emotional strain of caregiving and the physical strain, everyone says, oh, put your oxygen mask on first. And I always felt like I can't find it. Mm. And now if I think I had stepped back and allowed my dad to be grumpy because maybe he didn't get what he wanted that day or his life was not comfortable at the moment. And I was more okay with that. I would have probably preserved a little more of my own mental equilibrium. I did have, I I picked up with a therapist I'd had before just to kind of process this like once a month Mm -hmm. because I was just like, I don't know how to do this. Why would I? Yeah. And I'm beating myself up for not knowing. Yeah. And nobody's giving me credit. I want my gold star for doing this. You know, like, don't I get brownie points somewhere?
0: You deserve a sash that is decked out. Yes. With
1: d- right? All and of yes. the sashes. We should all have sashes and crowns. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that is what your girlfriends will do. They'll show up and you'll have a bunch of like rubber gloves for them, and they will tackle your house, and you'll feel like the queen. I will do that for them anytime. And yeah. seriously, like this, your podcast, like you reach people. I know you do. And I hope anybody hearing this feels like they're comfortable asking for help. Call a friend, call a cousin, just say, look, I'm kind of overwhelmed. And don't be afraid to say that. I got the most help when I confessed to being overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And that was just, you know, out of distress again, out of like, how do I do this? No one prepares you for this. You don't know somebody's going to live that long with all these decaying conditions. And, you know, I liked my parents. I didn't want to see them suffer. And there is guilt about knowing, like, the only way this ends is if he dies. That really is a crappy thought, but it's a real one.
0: It is a real one. Um, Well, Kitty, thank you so much for being here and sitting down with me. I know this is something that I dread more than anything. Don't Um, dread
1: it. There are ways to make it manageable. Okay. Don't dread it. You can learn a lot. And you know what? It does bring you closer. And lots of families most families have a lot of issues <laughs> i mean there's no family that doesn't yeah and none of this stuff is going to be comfortable and perfect it just if it was it wouldn't be happening so yeah be comfortable in like the discomfort i had to learn that like yeah somebody's not going to be happy today it's not your job to make them happy your job today is to keep them safe
0: yes and envision him eating ice cream with your mom <laughs>
1: Exactly. <laughs> As we all should feel happy doing.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. And everybody can tune into your podcast 24-7 where you listen to any podcast. And can they find you anywhere else to follow along?
1: Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't know if anybody else still is <laughs> <laughs> at Radio Kitty. Um, check 24-7, a podcast about caregiving. That's how it'll come up. It's on all the platforms. And honestly, I'd love to hear from people. So you can send an email to 247 at TPR, TexasPublicRadio.org. We are soliciting people for their experiences, what their questions are. Um, you know, and I think, and I hope that your audience thinks about this, gets in touch with you. I mean, I'd love to know what, how other people do this better. We're all doing it solo and like there is, there is strength in numbers and there is laughter. And we need each other. Yeah. All right. Thanks again. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget to follow the podcast so you don't miss our next episode. And before you go, can I ask you a big favor? Could you just rate the podcast? Just give it five stars wherever you're listening. It really means a lot to me and to the podcast. And I'd be so appreciative if you could just do that before you go. Thank you very, very much. She's Got Issues is produced by me, Jill Smokler, Kira Shine, and Gwen Sound. You can follow us on Instagram at She's Got Issues Media and tell a friend because you know what? It's not just us. She's got issues too. See you next time.